0: welcome into another edition of the bama baseline podcast i'm james fletcher alongside luke ratliff and we are going to bring you a very special show today we're going to start off with a recap of last week's events our games against unlv and providence that providence game was really encouraging i thought Uh, then we'll get you ready for this next week we only have one game um, over the next seven days and It's kind of a weird part of the schedule thanks to some of the COVID rescheduling things. We have a 10-day gap between games, something you don't often see. But we'll get you ready for that Clemson game that will be played in Atlanta at State Farm Arena. And then we will get you to Luke's Notes. After that, we will take a break and we will come back. We will have Drew Carter uh, with us, a special guest from CBS 42, our first guest of the year. We'll ask him some questions and he'll join us for our list segment, uh, which, you know, you never know what we're going to list off. Drew doesn't either. And so we'll see how he handles having to come up with some different things on the spot. But let's get into it. Luke, welcome to the show. What did you think about uh, the Maui Invitational and Alabama getting screwed out of the opportunity to have Bill Walton on the call?
1: Yeah, well, that to me was the most disappointing part of the entire tournament—not uh, losing the to Stanford, but not getting to hear uh, the great Bill Walton on the call of an Alabama basketball game. Usually, that's reserved for what he calls the, cha- the conference of champions, Pac-12 games that mm-hmm. happen at midnight Eastern. Um, but other than that, a very, very strong and convincing into the tournament for Alabama. And I don't know—I don't know—you hear a lot of people online saying it was smart to lose the first game and then win the next two. But I'm not sure about that. But Alabama certainly took care of business against UNLV and most certainly took care of business against Providence, a very good Providence team that's going to be middle of the pack in the Big East. I got some notes later about the Big East Conference uh, because they've been strong so far this season. But uh, really took care of business against a really good Providence team to end the Maui Invitational.
0: Yeah, but let's go ahead and start off with that UNLV game. Uh, UNLV, they're 0-3 right now, so they're not really a resume builder, it doesn't look like at this point, and they're also shut down now, I don't know if you saw that earlier today, Uh, they're shut down due to COVID uh, concerns, but UNLV, that game we previewed, you said watch out for Bryce Hamilton, I said watch out for David Jenkins. It turned out we were both wrong, and Caleb Grill was the guy (laughs) that you had to watch out for. I don't think anyone, including Alabama, saw that coming. He went 7-for-12 from three-point range, finished with 27.6 rebounds. Just an incredible shooting performance from Caleb Grill, but it was not enough for UNLV. Alabama comes out with the win 86-74. to What were your uh, big takeaways from that game?
1: Well, first of all, I want to correct you. Uh, UNLV has won a game recently. Uh, their first game of the season was a very convincing double-digit win over the Kansas State Wildcats of the Big 12, which for us, thumbs up. That's a good net win for us. Uh, it's a good net win for them as well. But going back to the game, Caleb Grill, you said it right there, this cat, I mean, he, he made everything he looked at, right? He made it all. But it was not enough to overcome the terrific play of – the Crimson Tide, who had five players in double figures led by the return. He's back. John Petty, Jr. Really, we talked about him in the last podcast. He's got to get going for Alabama to be successful. Twenty, The team goes as 23 does, as I've always said. And he was back in the big way, 22 points, uh, six three-pointers. This cat, I'm telling you, and we saw in that game what he can, you know, what he brings to the team. We saw in that game his basketball IQ, how he can facilitate shots for others, and how he can how he can create his own shot above all else. And it's it's really special when uh, this team is really really good and really special when John Petty is going and he's going at the clip that we expect him to go at.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I for I want to apologize. I don't know what that record I was seeing of 0 and 3, but they're 1 and 4. Not sure what I was looking at where it was saying 0 and 3. I guess maybe that was the record when they after the Alabama game. I'm guessing, but uh, yes, they are now 1 and 4. Uh, the UNLV Rebels. But, it's not much better in your no, defense. I mean, they're they're not a very good team, and I, like I said, they are shut down right now. But um, from that game, my takeaways for Alabama were. Uh, As you said, John Petty, finally he he showed up, he was back, looked like himself again uh, for the first time this season. But how about the kind of emergence we saw in that game of Primo? Uh, You know, he had gotten minutes before this game, but the first time where I really looked out on the floor and said, he's kind of taking control of things when we were able to see uh, what he can do and why he is a part of some of these mock drafts uh, that you'll see coming out. Uh, for this upcoming draft. Josh Primo had an excellent game against UNLV, and I, I thought really gave them a-, a nice little spark off the bench that uh, we need. We- we've talked about the depth of this team, but getting that spark scoring-wise off the bench is going to be huge for this team moving forward. Uh, another thing that I saw, I thought Jordan Bruner played a, a little bit better of a game defensively uh, than in the past few. We talked about last week where was that interior presence we were told it was coming with him but we hadn't really seen it yet in that game he had two blocks uh, he had seven rebounds and the scoring didn't come for him in that game only had two points on some free throws but i thought i thought he played a better game uh, than he had in the previous ones uh, before that
1: absolutely and most importantly uh in things that don't show up on the stat sheet things you have to see on the screen on the floor he deterred a lot of UNLV players from taking that shot inside from taking it to the hoop uh he he defended the rim real very well and that's really all we expect from Jordan Bruner is here is to be the guy that deters people to uh drive to the basket or makes makes them kick it out or uh just be a defensive presence on the team on the inside uh You said the two blocks, two steals facilitate the ball very well, four assists, uh, some coming off outlet passes and uh, uh, dumps inside under the rim. But what you talked about a second ago, Josh Prima, we really see, and we're going to talk about him whenever we break down the the Providence game, but Josh Prima really coming into himself early in the season. It's pleasant to see.
0: Yep, definitely, and let, let's get into that Providence game. Uh, Alabama, uh, the next day after that UNLV win, uh, took on Providence, and they got an 88-71 to 71 win against a good Providence team, a team that uh, we, we talked about uh, in our preview of the, the game last week as they were a team that could give Alabama some problems. Watson on the inside is the exact type of player that in the past has given – Alabama some troubles. Uh, He he scored 17 points but only had three rebounds, which I think was a a big key to this game. Uh, Alabama out-rebounding Providence and the Friars, something that I would not have expected coming into this game.
1: You know, we talked about it in the preview last Tuesday, just how these are teams that Alabama struggles against, teams that play good half-court defense and rebounding and rebounds the ball very well. I was blown away to see just how well Alabama rebounded the ball against Providence. A 38-26 to 26 clip on the boards. And you said it right there, Nate Watson, who I was particularly worried about going into this game, scored 17 points, but how many of those points came late in the game uh, when the defense was you know, a little bit more lax because they had a 17-point lead? This this was one of the most complete games you're going to see Alabama play all year and against a quality opponent. Although you know Providence is three and two right now in the season, they have two losses, one to Alabama. This is one of the most complete games you'll see them play all year against a, a quality opponent in the Big East, and it's really that's the snapshot of what you're going to see from Nate Oates' team this year. How the offense they facilitated a lot of sh- shots for each other. John Petty who didn't necessarily show up as big in the stat sheet as he did get to ULV, but on the bright side, did a lot for the team in showing his basketball IQ being in the right spot where he needs to be instinctive on the boards. He had six re- oh, excuse me at five rebounds, just being the player that you expect him to be. And, that's, that's the key. That's that's the key. He's the glue that holds it all together this year from a leadership standpoint to an X's and O's standpoint. Uh, whenever you get offensive production from John Petty, the rest will come. But enough about that. Let's talk again. Josh Freeman, this kid, this kid, I, he's – I mean, he's going to be something special for Alabama for – a the rest of the season we don't know if he'll be here next season but for the rest of this season he's going to be something you need to watch
0: yeah he's been great Uh, 15 points in this one three of six from deep uh you know he he played a really complete game in this one i thought uh played 24 minutes uh shot above 50 percent from the field he gave you everything you wanted to see out of josh primo as that combo guard that we all know he is uh somebody who can play one through three in this uh this Alabama offense the the four out system and I I really liked what he gave us off the bench again uh and I thought the key for Alabama in this one was to get the lead and keep it early I think that's really going to be a trend that we watch all year in these games that Alabama is able to get an early lead it, it seems like they are very good front runners and so I look for the those quick bursts out of the gate can Alabama get a quick lead because it, this team looks like they're the kind of team that can hold on to that for the rest of the game and, and extend it, as we saw with a, a big win, a 17-point win over Providence, something I don't think anyone really saw coming, coming into that game.
1: Well, and I want to look at something, too. One of our keys to the season that I've harped on all season, you've got to rebound, you've got to shoot the ball and you have to play defense in the half court. Or, Mm -hmm. yeah, defense in the half court. Alabama did all three of those things very well in this game, holding Providence defensively to 21% from behind the arc, which is fantastic. That's what you want from your defense. You want them – you want to run them off the line. You want to make them take contested shots if they're going to get up a three-point shot. But Alabama Alabama themselves shot over 50% from the field and 41% from behind the arc that's what you want to see. Those are the numbers you want to see from this Crimson Tide team this year. In order for them to be successful, they have to continue to play that good defense, run guys off the line, and then in return shoot shoot at a high clip themselves. Yeah,
0: definitely, and another another, another key right here. I mean, there's so many things they did well in this game, but the offensive rebounding—18 offensive rebounds for Alabama uh, all together. Three from Bruner, Jones, and Shackelford. Three each uh, from those three. So a big game uh, for Alabama for sure, a real momentum builder. But let's talk about this now as we move forward into our future games. A 10-day layoff from such a good performance, is that a good thing or is that something that can set this team back almost?
1: It's either or here because you want to have plenty of rest. You want to be well-rested going into the game. But at the same time, I talked about this last podcast, you want to get into a rhythm in the season. You want to get into a rhythm of playing two games a week, having a certain number of practices, things you can look forward to and get that internal clock in your body as a basketball player get it going and get it ready for a game. It's it's either or. I don't – personally, I don't think it's going to play much of a difference. I think a 10-day break and a couple of extra days to plan and practice for a very good defensive Clemson squad coming up this Saturday in Atlanta, uh, I think that's a good thing for this Crimson Tide team, uh, for them to harp on and look back at the film uh, of how they played against Stanford in games earlier in the season – and really try to fix the mistakes that they have, really try to control the ball and limit turnovers, which is Mm -hmm. when you're playing as fast as Alabama does, as NATO NATO 22, turnovers are going to happen. But this is – I think this is a good opportunity, 10-day layoff, to get this team acquainted to working on their strengths and working uh, to limit their weaknesses.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I think you can look at it – Either way, uh, really, I, I would argue as as someone who is a fan of you know offense, shooting the ball, everything, I wouldn't want to face that long of a layoff after a really good performance. They shot forty one percent from beyond the, the line. They they were feeling good. They've had some rhythm, and now ten days. That's a lot of practice in between where you've got time to to not be quite as hot uh, the next time you go into the gym. And so from that side, I don't know if it's a good thing. Uh, You know, you said, obviously, you do get to prepare for the defense, but if your offense isn't operating at 100%, that can be worse uh, when you head up against a really good defense, like we said, in Clemson. But on the other side, I would say that they didn't have a normal offseason. They didn't have a normal preseason where they were able to, to get ready for these games. And so as much time as they can spend in the gym and just with each other as a team is a good thing. You know, being around each other and being able to have that uh, community of a team will be good for Alabama. They've spent time together, I'm sure, over these days. Uh, obviously, it's different with social distancing, everyone having to wear masks at practice, all of that. But just to be better acquainted with the people you're out on the floor with, I think, always benefits you in the
1: long run. Absolutely. So, James, that being said, let's get into our, the next game for the Crimson Tide, Clemson this Saturday in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, It's going to be an interesting game, a part of a a big event that they're doing there, Uh, one of the MTEs, as we love to call them. Uh, Yeah, so Alabama taking on Clemson. I know another big game uh, from that event uh, right now is planned, at least. Everything is just planned in college basketball, as we've seen. Uh, We'll see what comes to fruition. But Auburn and Memphis will be playing. That will be an interesting game to watch. Uh, But let's talk about Alabama And Clemson, I know you are a big fan of the Clemson defense. What do you have on them?
1: Well, you said it right there. You can't talk this Clemson team without talking about their defense. They are a stellar defensive team, one of the best defensive teams Alabama will play all season, in my opinion. And that's what you come to expect from a Brad Brunel team. Clemson, fourth in the country in opponents' points per game. They're limiting their opponents to 50. Yes, 50 points per game in the year 2020 uh they're they average six deals per game they force 21.7 turnovers per game which is remarkable but, and that's because they play such good on-ball defense and get ball pressure at any at, at all times they they're hedging screens they're running guys out it's <laughs> this is – it's it's a lot of good – it's a lot of ways for me to say they're really good defensively. Uh, their ball pressure is as good as anyone in the country. Uh, they force opponents to shoot 35% from the field, which is what you not, don't want to see whenever yeah. – uh, if you're Alabama, if you're Coach Oates going into this game, you don't want to see that from your opponent. Uh, but then again, on the offensive side of the ball, Ooh. this – that Wolf. that's right <laughs> – They are not very good at all on offense. They average 69 points per game. Uh, They shoot only 30% from the three-point arc. Uh, Their leading scores, they have only two guys that play in double digits. This is something we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, (laughs) You said it before the show. They've they've started a different five players for each of their three games so far.
0: They have not had any consistency. Hard to plan for a team that doesn't play the same starting lineup, though.
1: Well, that's right. You know, they – and I think this is, too, this is still – we see this a lot with a lot of teams. We've seen this with Alabama up through the uh, – I'd say the UNLV game where Coach Oach was still trying to find a working rotation, what he would like to see on the floor. Uh, but they still play – they play 10 to 12 men in the, rotate, in, in the game. Uh, They're two leading scores: Amir Sims and Nick Honored, 12 and 10 points a game uh, respectively. Here's the thing for me they don't they create a bunch of their own shots there and they also turn the ball over they are, have just over one to one assist to turnover ratio uh, which again tells me that uh, whatever shots they create they're getting on their own they're typically driving to the basket they since they don't make a lot of you know jump shots from the three-point arc this team though it, it's it's led by their defense it's it's going to be a tough game for Alabama. This is one of the best defensive teams they'll play all year.
0: Yeah, I look at Sims and Honor, the, the two guys that you talked about who are scoring in double digits per game, and I don't even know if they'll – they're really uh, – Sims, Sims, I think, is a double-digit score, right, Right in the traditional sense we think of. Honor averaging 10 points a game, uh, but it's really on the back of one performance where he put yeah. up 17, And only 13 through the other two. So – and Sims as well. Sims had a a game where he didn't put up many points at all, had one game where he put up quite a few. But I really think it comes down to if you can stop Sims and and possibly honor uh, if he's in the starting lineup, who even knows. Uh, But if you can stop Sims, I think you can win this game. Uh, You've got to obviously score. It's a good defensive team here, but – they just don't have the offensive firepower to go up against a team like Alabama, in my opinion, uh, that's going to run up and down the floor. But uh, we love to talk about the the breakout guys, the guys that you got to keep an eye on. And for me, it's the three freshmen that they've got in here. Uh, You've got PJ Hall, who was their their top freshman for a while. Lynn Kidd, uh, another big uh, that they have on this team. And Olivier Maxence Prosper, Uh, who broke the starting lineup. He was in one of those three games as a starter. Those three uh, are guys that, you know, the rest of the roster, we kind of know what we're getting. You can go back, you can watch film. These three are are younger guys. You don't have much film on them. Uh, You're not really sure. And so you got to watch out for them. Uh, I, I think that outside of Sims, one of those three is really the the only ones that have big potential to to break out against Alabama on the in this game as we look at it.
1: I think I have the same guy circled as you do. PJ Hall, a top fifty freshman from Swartenburg, six foot ten, rebounds the ball pretty well. Uh, scoring is as with this whole team. So if, when it's only three games, but yeah. as with this whole team, scoring's a little bit of a if he, but this is a highly touted uh, player for Brad Burnell's team. And it's for me, he's very talented, and you have to look out for him because what? It, apart from Amir Sims, who is, like you said, essentially their only double-digit scorer on the season, you have to look out for P.J. Hall. He's going to be there. There's not a lot of film on him, uh, but you know the talent that he is and how he can play the game of basketball.
0: Yeah. And Hall, Hall, it's not like he has um, some big defensive pedigree that got him in the top 50. He can play offense. He was thought of as a uh, kind of a stretch guy. He's a 6'10 guy who can score the basketball. That's how you get in the top 50 in these recruiting rankings, if we're being honest. Uh, you don't get in the top 50 for playing defense. But uh, that, that's, that's what I'm looking at with this Clemson team. I, I think we... Pretty consensus is Alabama should pick up this win, but against a tough defense, you never want to say anything is for certain. Uh, But we will see. Again, that game will be uh, in Atlanta on December 12th, uh, for those of you looking to watch. Before we get to break, Luke,
1: let's get to your notes. Oh, notes already. Uh, James, uh, as you know, I take notes every weekend of college basketball, uh, and I – write down these notes and bring them to you the audience so let's get into it james here's my notes all right after three weeks we are starting to get a look at the teams in college basketball that are contenders and the teams in college basketball that are pretenders Hmm. and james the kentucky wildcats (laughs) are pretenders georgia tech beat kentucky sunday in atlanta by the score of 79 to 62. James, you know what they did? What did they do? They took him to the woodshed. They did.
0: How about this? I got a, I got a little stat to throw in here for you. Josh Passner, the first John Calipari assistant to ever beat him head to head in a game.
1: Really good guy, too. I like Josh. He Pastor. is. He is. Uh, James, Missouri. You know what you got to do with, with Kwanzaa Martin's team? What do you got to do? You got to keep an eye on them. Yeah. They're looking really good. I don't know if you've seen them. They're not I know, top I in the conference. I haven't,
0: I haven't watched them yet this season, but I know that they've got essentially the entire team back from last year. And that's always something that you look for with these teams that aren't churning out the one-and-dones is which one has the most players back.
1: And, and they only graduate, graduated one player last year. Yeah. So, but you got to keep an eye on Kwanzaa Martin's team. They, they're not top in the conference, but they're looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eric Musselman, why don't <laughs> you play a real team? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, my God, this guy's four 0 with Arkansas, and who's he played? He's played, you know, he's played two church league teams and a, a team of janitors. Do it about, against a real opponent, you know. Hey, about, this is yeah. How about Arkansas Dirk though? Connor Vanover, looking good. The the seven-foot-three shooter, straight-up sniper from the outside. He's got one of the most punchable faces in college (laughs) basketball. Eric Musselman, this isn't what I meant when I said, pick on someone your own size. (laughs) Oh. James, as a college basketball traditionalist, it brings me great joy to say that the Big East Mm. is back. Yeah, they are good. As much as it kills me to say this, Xavier is really, really good. And listen to me when I say this. You have to keep a close eye on Saint John's. Yeah. The Johnnies are looking good. James. Mike Anderson. I don't know if Mike it.
0: Anderson has Really good coach. Really good coach, Mike it Anderson.
1: He is. He's one of the good guys in college basketball, too. There's only a couple of good guys out there. Yeah. Mike Anderson, I hate that it didn't work for him in Arkansas mm-hmm. uh, long term, but a really good coach. Uh, but the Johnnies, they're looking good.
0: I noticed that you left out there a top ten Big East team that, that happens to be playing in a big matchup tonight at about 4 o'clock.
1: Yeah, uh, we're going to leave them out. We <laughs> don't want to give them the time of day. <laughs> Uh, UNC Iowa, Luca Garza, Garrison Brooks. Yeah. You know what this game is, James? I mean, it's a collision course for sure. Uh, it's appointment television. It is. <laughs> it's appointment television. Auburn's Justin Powell has the most un, is the most unlikable player since Duke's Kyle Singler. Ooh, I mean, Kyle I mean, Singler! I, wow. I I I don't know about you, but that was he was the most Duke player I've ever seen in my life. Him and uh, Ryan Kelly were the most... Ryan people. Kelly,
0: uh, Ryan Kelly. I remember Ryan Kelly. I remember Singler, too. But for me, it, w- it went, you know, Grayson Allen, and, Alan, and y- we've talked about this, I think, in, in a previous season on this show. My mom hates Christian Leitner. Absolutely despises him. And for I th- her, it- <laughs> Grayson Allen, for years, th- she would only refer to him as the new Christian Leitner. She, she did not know his actual name, only knew that he was the
1: new Christian Leitner. She wasn't wrong. I, she wasn't. She really wasn't. She wasn't wrong. But the difference is Christian Leitner or Grayson Allen is actually a really good basketball player. Whereas Kyle Singler, <laughs> I, what, did he, what, what did he bring you? What, he's, all, he's all shoulders and elbows and just scored, you know, he scored one or two big baskets. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. He, and he had a punchable face. That's it. <laughs> Justin Powell and Auburn the same way. Uh, speaking of unlikable players from Duke, have you seen uh, this guy Matthew Hurt for Duke? I have. I've seen Matthew Hurt, the new he's, Kevin Love they call him. I, I don't think so. This guy, I, mm. he's he's he fits that mold, that prototypical. Uh, yeah, the powerful player, the one you don't like, right? The power forward Duke always. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but James, those are my notes from the college basketball weekend all right thank you for sharing those with the world Uh, i know we love
0: hearing them each and every week and when we come back we will have drew carter on the show Uh, we'll talk to him about some alabama basketball uh his syracuse orange where he is an alma mater and he will join us uh to give us a list uh when we come back this is the Bama baseline podcast
1: Welcome back in to the Bama Baseline podcast. I'm Luke Ratliff, along with James Fletcher. James, we have a special guest today uh, from CBS 42 in Birmingham. Uh, He does the sports. You've seen them on TV. Uh, Drew Carter, Drew Carter, welcome in to the Bama Baseline.
2: Well, guys, thanks for having me. I'm just going to amend that statement real quick. You probably haven't seen me on CBS 42 because no one watches local news anymore. Everyone listens to the Bama Baseline podcast. So this is really big for my career. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, we've got hundreds of thousands of listeners worldwide. Thanks for coming on to making time for us. Yes. Yeah, it's great
0: to have you on, Drew. Uh, you just shared with us uh, before, we, before we started recording here, uh, you're doing play-by-play for UAB. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I hope there's no animosity between uh, Alabama and UAB fans because I am a company man now. I'm a shill for the UAB Blazers. I'm calling their home games for UAB women's hoops. And I was telling you guys about it because I was at their practice this morning and someone came over and just – gifted me like four or five great items of swag like a, an Under Armour jacket and some sweatpants and some Steph Curry shoes which I mean I had no idea this was coming I was hoping for like a shirt like a t-shirt mm-hmm. that you get at like a basketball camp and here they come like basically a helicopter dropping this swag bag off for me so that was great shout out UAB yeah lo- love working for them love doing play-by-play so it, it's been good so far.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. good for you. I, it, Christmas came early for you, it sounds like. But uh, That's right. Yeah, but to speak on it, there is, for Alabama traditionalists, there is a big gripe between Crimson Tide fans and UAB fans, uh, or UAB as a college old, altogether. Uh, if you speak to a really old Alabama football fan, they don't refer to him as UAB. They refer to him, to him as Birmingham, and that's it. But <laughs> – and like
2: the old UAB fans, they'll they'll say the University of Alabama is UAT.
1: UAT, oh. yeah, uh. yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's mixed yeah, very mixed messaging. Yeah, very mixed messaging here. But Drew, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And first of all, yeah. I know you. You went you, you went the Syracuse, of course. Let's talk um, real quickly. I don't know how close you're we watching them. Let's talk. Here we go. Here we uh, go. Hold on. You don't know yet because I just <laughs> want to get your opinion on your Syracuse Orange Men this year.
2: Well, first of all, I'm going to have to correct you, Fluff, because it is the Syracuse Orange, no longer the Orange Men. Um, in 2003 or so, they, they switched that. So we're now a fruit. We're no longer men. We're a fruit. That's right. Um, so that's, that's an important distinction there. The team fluff is is the same as it has been when, when I was there. So I, I was there from 2015 to 2019. And before I got to Syracuse, every year, Syracuse was fighting for a top three seed in the dance. Every year. You might remember they went 25-0 one year with Tyler Ennis when he made that shot at Pittsburgh. I remember that. About, about half court. They were, I mean, they were truly an elite program for 10, 15 years ever since Melo. But then... I got there and all of a sudden we became a bubble program and we have been bubbling for five years in a row, honestly, not unlike Alabama, like just living, living on the bubble. And so when I was there, we were on the bubble. We somehow snuck in. I didn't even think we should have made it my freshman year. And then we went all the way to the final four. So that was very special, Uh, but it's kind of been the same old song and dance for Syracuse. And I think it's the same thing this year. You know, they've, they've got a couple of exciting guards and Joe Girard and, Buddy Beheim, who might as you've heard he is related to the head coach that is his son and those two guys love to chuck again kind of like Alabama they'll they have no conscience they will shoot from 30 feet even if they're 0 0 for 10. Um, Syracuse is obviously running the zone still I saw some reports that they might have been running a little man this year which is honestly sacrilegious for Jim Beheim. but all that to say Syracuse is probably going to be on the bubble again but we're used to it at this point.
0: Yeah, and um, you cover Alabama, too, uh, obviously, on the the local news there in Birmingham. Tell us, what is it like to cover college basketball for local news? Because obviously, you're dealing a lot in highlights. You're dealing a lot in in that area, uh, not necessarily the the in-depth discussions on the team and what's going on.
2: That's right, James. I have no idea what I'm talking about, so you guys are going to have to carry (laughs) this this podcast. No, it's a good question because it is different from what I experienced in college where – You know, being at Syracuse, that is obviously a basketball school. And lacrosse is more important to the fans up there than football, uh, for the most part. So we were doing a ton of basketball coverage. I would say I did something covering the basketball team every day, whether it was calling a game or hosting a show or doing a podcast or going on the radio or something. So that was like always in the zeitgeist of my mind at Syracuse. It's different down here. It's different, one, because of the region we're in where football is king. And two, because of the job I'm doing, like you said, in local news where, you know, especially for us as the CBS affiliate in SEC country, we do a ton of programming on Saturdays for every college football game. So we've got our pregame show leading into the national broadcast. We've got our postgame show. We've got a wrap up show. So basically, my life is divided into two segments. There's football season and the offseason, because during football season, we don't really have time to do anything else. So like I'll try to you know stay up to date with obviously UAB because I'm calling their games in Alabama and Auburn hoops, but it's hard. So then once conference play starts after football, we can really ramp it up. And I remember last year that was a lot of fun for me to kind of dive headfirst into Alabama hoops. And I remember vividly a couple of games. I remember the hashtag IBOB, Iron Bowl of Basketball. God, that was fun at Coleman College. <laughs> I had such a blast. I remember the game against LSU, I think, where Herb Jones made the one-handed free throws and like, that was the coolest thing I had ever seen. I remember going live on on TV after that game, and it said where legends are made behind me. So I pointed to it, and I was like, yeah, guys, this is where legends are made. And Herb Jones became a legend today by making two free throws. And I was like, that was probably a little too much, true, but it was still fun to watch when Herb Jones did that. So, yeah, a lot of cool memories covering basketball last year. I expect the same thing this year.
1: Absolutely. You just talked about there some of the – very important moments from last season alone since you've been here has your how is have you been surprised by the following that basketball gets not only at university of alabama but in the state at a high school level at a college level have has that surprised you any because with a lot of people that come in they're always surprised at how fans really follow basketball especially at the university of alabama
2: yeah no doubt and i think not to like blow smoke here fluff but you're a big reason why Like you, you have sort of, you have sort of ushered me in, I would say, whether you know it or not to Gump Twitter where it's, and it's not just football only Gumps. I mean, we've got basketball Gumps as well. And so like anytime anyone commits to Alabama, I, my timeline is flooded with like you posting videos of like the guys dancing in the middle East. Like I've seen that video like seven times, because you know what I'm talking about. So it's, it's really, it's a lot of fun to follow. And I think there's a special thing about, the basketball community in the state, you know, at UA, at Auburn, even UAB a little bit with Andy Kennedy this year, where it feels like it's more of a niche culture where like you've got, like I grew up in Minnesota and I knew what Alabama football was doing every week. So that's a, I mean, that's a global phenomenon is Alabama football, but with basketball, I think people sort of feel like more of a family just because it's tighter knit and it's smaller. So I think that's been really cool to see, but I did know a little bit about the program because I I know I'm supposed to be objective here, guys, but I'll just say it. Nate Oates is my favorite basketball coach, and he has been for three years. Ever since Buffalo came to Syracuse, almost beat us at the Carrier Dome my junior year, I called the game with one of my best friends in the world, Tyler. Ever since they almost did that, then proceeded to actually beat us the following year when Tyler and I, we told everyone at our station, guys, we're, we are calling this game. Like, we don't care what anyone else says. This is our game. We're on it again. They beat us. Tyler and I went up to Nate Oats after the game following his post-game press conference, and we're just like these two college kids who are starstruck. We just wanted to tell him, like, hey, we love your program and we love your style. The man stood there for probably 10 minutes and just shot the breeze with us. Like, he, you know, he's from the Midwest. He's from Wisconsin. He obviously coached high school in Michigan. I'm from Minnesota. Tyler's from Chicago. So he was like, oh, wow, like, that's great. And, you know, I'm from, like, right in between you guys. And he just – He's just such a good, genuine dude, and so we love his style. We love him as a guy. And then he got the job at at Alabama, and I'm not kidding when I say a small reason why I took the job down here was to cover Nate Oates because I, I love him that much.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I thought I was one of the first people on the Nate Oates bandwagon when uh, it became rumored that he might come here, but I guess you were the original uh, <laughs> Nate Oates follower uh, down yeah. here in this area. Uh, That's good to know. But tell me, what are some of the things that excite you about this year's team specifically uh, as you start to cover them and you get ready to, as you said earlier, uh, really dive into it once conference play starts?
2: I think the number one thing, James, is the number of ball handlers on this team. I mean, the fact that Herb Jones can play a little point guard this year is like unfair. If I were an SEC coach, I'd be sweating just looking at the roster and, watching some of Quinterly's highlights from the first few games of this season, I mean, the dude is the truth. Like he's, he's a different player than Kyra, but he might, he might be just as good. Now he doesn't have obviously the long resume that Kyra did in Tuscaloosa, but the guy is so skilled. You watch him. It's like, he's like a baby Kyrie. His, his handle is so tight and his finishing ability, even though he's small is is so impressive. So I would say the ball handling and, and honestly guys like through four games of the season, I don't think the rotation is, even close to what it's going to be by the end of the year. I mean, Oates has an embarrassment of riches. We've seen Jawan Gary play, what, nine minutes so far? Like, throughout the entire year last year, I was telling people, like, hey, just wait, just wait. This guy, Jawan Gary, he's going to be legit. And I still think that. And and maybe it's not this year, but if it is, I mean, if he figures it out by the end of the season, like, you're talking about a rotation that could go 10, 11 deep with a lot of guys who can handle the rock. They're going to run up and down, which it helps to have a lot of depth because you can go 110% when you're out there. So we'll see what happens with the rotation. But, like, I mean, they shoot so much and they've got so many weapons. I could see them winning games against Kentucky, games against Florida. But that being said, the SEC is wide open. No one has really, really impressed you so far on the SEC. So there's a lot of reason, I think, to be excited about them.
1: Drew Carter on with us here on the Bama Baseline. Drew, you just said something right there about the SEC coming into the season. James and I talked for two weeks about how, you know, it was top, middle, heavy. You had Kentucky and Tennessee and possibly – and Florida there talent-wise. And then you had everyone – a middle group of about three or four teams. And then there was everyone else. There was uh, Arkansas, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, everyone else. You just said something there. Who do you have – you know, which two teams – give me two teams you could see breaking out in the SEC this season.
2: Well, Alabama's one of them, I mean, to stick to stick with the theme of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But you want to go around the SEC, I think when, when you don't really know what these teams are bringing to the table, I think it's just safe to bank on coaching. And so I think Kentucky, I mean, it's a boring answer, but Kentucky, they're going to figure it out at some point. Like, mm-hmm. you know they'll be in the top ten at some point this season. Coach Cal – Obviously, all the headlines are about his recruiting, but he is a great in-game coach, too. I mean, say what you want about the guy. He's a sleazeball. He's fake. Whatever. He cheats. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe all that's true. But he is a great coach. Um, And also, like, I'm a big fan. Even though I think Eric Musselman is the most extra guy there is in America, like, he does too much every time he does anything. I think I'm kind of bought in. I'm bought into his culture in in Fayetteville as well. You know, I I like – I like the coaches in the SEC, but I, honestly, guys, like, Oates is right there, and I think the, the talent on the roster is, is as good as anyone. So I don't see a reason why Alabama can't win the SEC. The only team that's not going to win the SEC this year is Auburn. Like, <laughs> Auburn, it's going to be great for you guys. Like, I really enjoy covering that program too. Like, Pearl is amazing with the media. He's got a little muscleman factor where, you know, he loves the camera, but that's great for us, and he's an entertaining guy. He's always been super nice to us. Um, But they just I don't know if they have the horses this year. They're just very, very inexperienced. And when you've got the scepter looming of you can't play in the postseason, how hard can you really get those guys to play? I think it's a it's a legitimate question. So for Alabama fans, like not to pander here, but I think there's a real chance the Tide are top three in the SEC and the Tigers are bottom three.
0: Yeah, I think that's a real possibility uh, this year. But the only thing I'm taking out of this interview is that if Arkansas again disappoints, it's not just on me, it's on you too. Uh, Now, (laughs) let's go in. Let's go in. I think Luke has a list
1: for us uh, to close out the show today. Oh, here we go. Uh, I do. So, as we all know, Drew, uh, lists, list radio, lists content is at the top of the sports media. platform it is it is in terms of content this is what you want from your gas baggy sports talking heads yes. because you could talk about it forever and we do a list every week but for our guests we always do the same list and i'm going to filibuster a while while you think on this but we always ask our <laughs> guests to give us their five favorite co- colors starting from five and counting down to one uh so while you're thinking we're going to give you some time to think of that because we don't yeah, like everybody- for our guests to repair yeah
0: everybody everybody Colors. thinks it's so easy and then wants to get yeah. on to me for missing things when I have to go first yeah. every episode, but now now you get to experience what it's like to have to come up with your list on the spot.
1: Yeah, so what we're oh, going yeah, to do is, God. yeah, so I'm while you're thinking of this, I'm going to filibuster. I'm going to give you my five favorite colors, which have never changed, and James is going to give you his five, and then we'll swing it to you. So we'll start with me. Starting at five, Luke Ratliff's fifth favorite color is seafoam.
2: Oh, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a very nice color, isn't it?
2: It's uh, underrated.
1: The fourth favorite color of mine is chartreuse. Chartreuse? That's an interesting Okay, name. hang on.
2: Nobody actually knows what color chartreuse is. Everyone just says that to be unique.
1: Well, I, I would describe it, but <laughs> this is sort of a, uh, a backward segment for me as a colorblind person to give my favorite colors. <laughs> but we like to do our best anyway. Chartreuse is sort of like a beer color, if, if you're familiar with beer uh, it's sort of like a beer
0: <laughs> if you're familiar with beer yeah
2: Wait, hang on flop are we talking like an ipa or, or like a guinness or are we talking it's like a, a
1: vague uh, like there's it's, so many different colors it could be no because those are colors in their own beer is traditional miller light budweiser butt light type beer color you know what i'm talking about like a lager a pilsner sure yeah
2: yeah like so, a macro Yes. I got gotcha.
1: you. That is what chartreuse looks like, at least through my eyes, which are, of course, jaded. Um, number three, favorite color of mine, cream. I feel like especially with any college uniform, any type of uniform you see that's cream in color, always looks good. Uh, number two for me is agreeable gray. It's a paint color, actually. Agreeable gray. It's a very muted Gray color, goes up against anything. And number one, of course, powder blue.
0: Powder blue. Of course, the the, the North Carolina native is a big powder blue guy, of course. I'll give you uh, my top five here. We'll start backwards. We'll go with number five, Kelly Green. It's going to crack the top five. It's a good one. Mm -hmm. Nice, bright, vibrant green. Um, I I debated on neon green at number five, but I went with Kelly Green because I know a lot of people are turned off by neon when you just say it. Um, But number four, I'm going to go with royal blue. I'm wearing some royal blue today, you guys can see. Um, Mm -hmm. Number three, I got to go with a nice varsity red. I know some people might get on to me for it not being a crimson red, but I like my red a little bit brighter uh, in terms of my top five favorite colors. Number two, we're getting a little bit more specific here, Beale Street Blue. All right. Uh Now, I don't know if you guys have seen, but the Memphis Grizzlies alternate jerseys, they are called Beale Street Blue. It is a wonderful color, um, not the same quite as powder blue, but a, a similar shade of blue. And then number one for me always, no matter what, the color that is the best is gold.
1: It's a very elitist answer if you, <laughs> It really is. I, have it people have one. gotten
0: on to me in the past. They've said that gold isn't a color, and it
1: it is a color, right? Do you guys it's, agree with a color? That's you're so high highfalutin. It's very much a color. You're you're right in that aspect. But now, uh, we've given... Drew, we've given you my five favorite colors, James' five favorite colors. And now, if you're ready, we'll move on. Listeners, this is Drew Carter from CBS 42, up-and-coming sports journalist. Very good at what he does. You can see him on the local news if you're not listening to the Bama Baseline podcast. (laughs) Drew Carter, with much fanfare, your five favorite colors, starting with number five. Number five favorite color for Drew Carter is?
2: Well, Fluff, because – my best skill is pandering. I'm going to say crimson cracks the top crimson, five for me. All
1: right. Crimson
2: five. red, number five for me. If I were on the Auburn baseline podcast, you better believe that would be in my bottom five, probably oh, number. Okay. One. Um, number four for me is purple. I love okay. a good purple, a good rich purple. It is the primary color of my Minnesota Vikings, yep. and it's also the color that symbolizes royalty. Because wow. if you're a history buff like I am, I minored in history at Syracuse. Royalty was purple because it was expensive to get the dye for their clothes. Yeah. So, purple equals wealth. I like wealth. I like purple.
0: You can call okay. me elitist. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. You went, with, you went with gold, which is just yellow. I well,
0: okay. All right. Give us your number three color. Right.
2: Number three, I'm going to go very nerd sports answer and say pewter. Which is the yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers' unique color. And I just, I've always found it so baller that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were like, all right, we see you with your reds and blues, rest of the NFL, we're going to invent our own color. And yeah. that'll be our primary. I thought that was cool. So pewter at number three. Number two, I'm cheating a little bit because, Fluff, I agree with you. I think the best color that exists objectively is a Carolina blue or a powder blue or a baby blue, whatever you call it, just a light blue. I'm sure, you know. People who love colors, like they would say that all those things are different, but I'm not a purist. So whatever it is, just a light blue is, is my number two. And number one, I mean, you guys should be able to guess what my number one is based on where I went to college. <laughs> I, I am an orange. Number one is orange. And it always has been, for the record. Orange oh, has always oh, been wow. my favorite so you color. So
0: de- you were destined to go to Syracuse then?
2: Yeah. It is part of the reason why I went to Syracuse is because they are the orange.
1: Yes. And unlike on the Bama baseline podcast where you pandered the color crimson at number five, you have always been loyal to uh, orange, (laughs) the Syracuse orange. I appreciate that very much. Well, that's our list segment. Uh, It's, it's the premier topic of all sports media. (laughs) It's the laziest thing anyone could ever do. (laughs) And that's why we do it every week because it's always a different answer for anyone. And, uh, it's easy to do so here we are Drew's thank you yeah that's what that's the name of the business isn't it <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right well thank, thank you for coming on today drew we really appreciate uh having you on taking some time to talk with us again drew carter from cbs 42 in birmingham and that will conclude our episode for the day uh the bama baseline podcast again i'm james fletcher with luke ratliff and guest drew carter thank you for listening